Let's turn our attention to Scripture today. As Doug will be bringing us God's word from Hebrews, we're nearing the end here, and we're in Hebrews chapter 13, and we'll be in verse 8 through 25, 8 through the end of Hebrews 13. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews 13. I'll be reading an NLT version, New Living Translation, beginning in verse 8. Now, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace, not from rules about food, which don't help those who follow them. We have an altar from which the priests in the tabernacle have no right to eat. Under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin, and the bodies of the animals were burned outside the camp. So also, Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would definitely not be for your benefit. Pray for us, for our conscience is clear, and we want to live honorably in everything we do. And especially pray that I will be able to come back to you soon. Now, may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you, through the power of Jesus, every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. I urge you, dear brothers and sisters, to pay attention to what I have written in this brief exhortation. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released from jail. If he comes here soon, I will bring him with me to see you. Greet all your leaders and all the believers there. The believers from Italy send you their greetings. May God's grace be with you all. Well, and again, happy Mother's Day. What a wonderful celebration it is to remember our moms. I remember probably the first time I ever bought my mother a gift. It was from the corner of our neighborhood. One of the families was trying to sell all this stuff and there were a lot of little knickknacks and I saw a little glass kitten. I was only about five or six years old and I thought, that's what I want for my mom. But I don't have the 15 cents. So I ran home a half a block away and asked my mom for some money. <laughs> she gave it to me. She sort of knew what was up. 
I ran back and I got this little glass kitten and she just was so thrilled. She put it up on her shelf and there she kept it. Moms, we love you. We appreciate you. We don't often show it. And we certainly don't um, recompense you in the way that you deserve. But um, although we take you for granted, we want you to know that we certainly do love and appreciate all you have done for us. I think um, in our house, uh, Mother's Day is, is special. We usually celebrate with a hanging plant um, or and, and possibly a day off from cooking and cleaning and the sort of those kinds of um, normal daily activities that uh, Gail is involved in. Um, and, and those things are nice. I, I think if you think about moms, what they really want is rest. They want a break, right? Um, they, they just want to change from the, from the regular routine. They'd love a little appreciation in the form of some kind of token, whether it be a hug, a, a phone call, a gift, something to show that they're special to you. So make sure that you do reach out to your mother at some point today if, you, if she's still around. Uh, but I think the gift that most mothers would appreciate long term is a listening ear and a willingness to obey instructions carefully the first time. Right? Because you, one of the ways moms get run down is they just have to repeat themselves over and over and over again in so many different forms. And the, the writer of Proverbs gets this, and he talks to his son, and he says, Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Fathers instruct skills mothers teach it's all encompassing they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck and he says wisdom shouts in the streets she lifts her voice in the square at the head of the noisy streets she cries out at the entrance of the gates in the city she utters her sayings wisdom is personified as a woman Perhaps your mother, who's calling out to you amidst the noise and the clutter and the competing voices of the city gate. And she's trying to utter a saying to you. She's trying to get through. She is concerned about your welfare and the direction of your life, your choices. In chapter 6. Solomon says, my son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light. So there's observe, look at, examine to follow there's do not forsake don't let it go keep remembering refreshing resetting bind them about your heart right in the seat of your affections so this isn't just a oh i guess i should do this because mom says but no you do it because you want to 
out of love. Tie them around your neck because that's where you be a constant reminder for you as you go through life. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, if you will seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. So here's mother wisdom calling out, receive my words, treasure my commandments, seek for wisdom as you would for silver. And if there's one thing that we need as a culture today, especially young people, as always, is to value and seek after wisdom. It comes right from mom's mouth. She's the source of wisdom. And, and I think in, in this sense, as we look at this passage today, we're looking at the final chapter of Hebrews and the writer, the, the apostle, is giving this list of things. So there's ten things that we wanted to, to, to impart to you before we left. They're all, they, they grow out of this whole theme of Christ as the center, the better of everything, the best. They grow out of that. And now I want you to do these things. It's almost like a mother sending her child off into the world saying, remember, when you go out, you know, do this and do that and don't do that. That's what this list is. It's a wonderful list. It started last week with, as Bryce preached, verses 1 through 7. Let love of the brethren continue. This is your focus. He's talking about living within community here. Let this love permeate and hold us together like glue. It should be our main job, our occupation in life. If you make love your aim, my friends, you'll not go wrong. It'll carry you through. You will be doing God's will. And an outworking of that is show hospitality to strangers. Care for those you don't even know. For some have entertained Angels unaware. Protect yourselves from sexual immorality. Your body is not your own. If you love God, treat this body like it is his temple because that's what it is. He lives here. Be holy. Be free from greed. Content with what you have. Knowing that he is with you always and will always take care of you. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. Your father knows what you need before you ask, and he will take care of you. So be content and then imitate those who are your spiritual mentors. Observe their lives. Follow the pattern that you see in them, their faith, their love for God, their devotion. Note the way it goes and follow them. Now, as he transitions into verses 9 through 25, he makes this statement it's like the central truth of this passage. He says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's like, where did that come from? It is the central truth of the whole passage. It is the focus. The focus is on Jesus. That, that was the focus all through. And he talks about him being the same, that he does not change this immutable quality of Jesus that 
though created things will all be shaken, as Chris shared with us a couple weeks ago. Remember that image of the tower that's on springs and everything else is falling apart? It says the world is shaking apart. In fact, it tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3 that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. That's the news of what's going to happen. Things change. Created things will be shaken. And in contrast to people that we know and love, who we imitate and have gone ahead of us, people like Dot Ledger and Marion Moloff and Madge Kenyon and Gert Coons and Marion Fisher. These are women who started this church. And then Jack Gill and Bill Troggett and Ernie Taft and I mean, you could probably name some others of those great saints who have gone before us back in the 90s. They were here. They were like pillars among us. We observed their life and the, and the outcome of their faith. And we imitated them. And we still hold them in high esteem. But they're gone. And now the baton has been passed on to us. Things change, right? This congregation changes. But God's Spirit is here. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. It's an attribute that he doesn't share with us, right? We do change. We're fickle. We're capricious. We, we, we change like the weather, right? But, but Christ doesn't change. That means that his promises are good. When he says something, it's as good as done, right? And when he tells you you're his child, you're his child. When he tells you he's going to come back, he's going to come back. There is no doubt that Christ's word will not come to pass because it's based upon his own immutable character. He's God in the flesh. Christ is seen through Hebrews as the better leader, the better human, the better prophet than Moses, the better Sabbath rest, the better high priest. He provides us with a better promise, a better peace, a better sacrifice, a better covenant. Christ is the best of the best. All these other things from the Old Testament were shadows of Christ. They were types of what would come. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. Today, I want to talk to you about five other things. One is cling to the truth as revealed in Jesus. Two is continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, giving thanks to his name. Third, do good and share. Fourth, obey your leaders. And five, pray for us. Father, give us guidance and direction as we look at these. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Cling to the truth as revealed in Jesus. Don't be carried away by strange teachings. There is a temptation to let go. When I think of cling, I think of a little baby holding onto his mom. And there's this bond that can't be broken. And you can pull that child, but that child's going to hold on because that's mom. And there's no substitutes for mom. Well... We have Jesus here. There is no substitutes for Christ. He is the embodiment of truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is found in Jesus. Paul says to the Ephesians, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. In the context, we see this immutable Christ that Jesus does not change. We are tempted to be lured away by novel teachings, friends. We hear something new, a latest fad, a trendy concept, a different way of looking at things. A lot of the error that's introduced into the Christian faith is just an imbalance of the truth. It shows one thing without the other. The love of God without the justice of God. And so people say, hell can't exist. A loving God would not send people to hell. But God is just. He's holy. We wouldn't know right or wrong without God revealing himself and saying to us, you shall be holy as I am holy. And we respond, oh, wow, I can't do that. He says, you're right. That's why I sent my son. But the world would tell us sin isn't sin. It's culturally defined. You know, the, the aberrations from normalcy. But that's not what God's word says. He has spoken and he has told us what he expects. Any missing of the mark is falling short of his glory. And so we need a savior. Everything points us back to the fact that we need a savior. Which God provided for us because of his great love for us. Cling to the truth as revealed in Jesus in this context, he's talking to Hebrew Christians who are very tempted to go back and to sort of integrate the Old Testament concepts and the Old Covenant into their newfound faith in Jesus. And he's saying, no, no, be careful. That was just a type of what was to come. But Jesus was the fulfillment of all that. He says back in Hebrews 9, the Holy Spirit is signifying this that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing, that physical, which is a symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience, since they relate only to food and drink and to various washings, regulations for the body imposed until a time of redemption. He's saying all these things were being set into place to look forward to the time of redemption. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this creation and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once and for all, having obtained Eternal redemption. That's grace. It's, it's not through these things that you do, but it's by grace through Jesus' sacrifice. Then he goes on about this grace. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. In other words, even the priests and the Levites who were designated as the temple workers, they weren't qualified to partake of the sacrifice. They weren't worthy. And if they who are the priests are not worthy to partake of the sacrifice, certainly you are not worthy either. Their righteousness did not come from within themselves. But he says, 
For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Now listen, I know this is kind of heady, but I want you to follow along. So he's saying those sacrifices that were made on behalf of the worshipers, even the priests and the Levites, were offered outside the camp, outside the walls of Jerusalem. They were slaughtered and then they were brought in. Therefore, Jesus, as the Old Testament type, that he might sanctify the people through his blood, suffered outside the gate. Golgotha, the place of the skull, was just outside the walls of Jerusalem. It's easily identified by the skull-shaped rock, still there, prominent upon this precipice. This emphatically declares that our qualification to enter into the presence of God comes from outside of us. We do not qualify to enter into the temple apart from that which he has provided for us through this sacrifice, Jesus Christ, a righteousness which is imputed to us. It's given to, it's ours based on faith, not by anything we can do. So the temptation for the Hebrew Christians was to reintroduce works and the sacrifices into their new faith. He says, no, it's finished. Christ fulfilled the law. Remember back in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. It is completely fulfilled in Christ. So he wants them to get the gospel right because the gospel is the gospel of grace that saves us. And my friends, even though we're not Hebrews, we tend to want to continue adding to the gospel seven sacraments that we have to do in order to obtain grace. Or even the evangelical version is the spiritual disciplines. If I read my Bible every day, if I pray from, you know, quarter to nine to quarter to ten, and you set up this sort of routine, and some of you do, many of us don't. But when we start to depend on the things that are good, that are spiritual disciplines, memorization of Scripture, um, fasting, uh, asceticism, you know, going without, those kinds of things. When we start to depend on those things as a basis for our relationship with God, it becomes about something else other than the gospel. It becomes a different gospel. And in the Christian mind, we must always remember that our relationship with God is based on faith alone in the finished work of Christ. I remember one time when I was a student and I had done this um, short stint in Ghana, West Africa. I was way out in this bo- in the boonies and I was listening, woken up by these the chanting, the prayers of um, some is- Islamic people, the, the, the Muslims nearby at this this temple. And my response was, shame on me. Here I am. Five o'clock in the morning. And I'm still sleeping, content, care, you know, snoring. And these people are up saying their prayers five times a day. They're just consistently faithful. They must have something that I don't have. They have discipline. But, you know, in reality, what they need is not religion, right? 
It's Jesus. And I have Christ. And what the world needs is not discipline, but it's Jesus. We need the relationship with Christ. And when we have that relationship, we have the best that God has to offer us. Because our salvation does not rest in us, but it rests in him. But how often we depend on our own personal performance to measure our relationship with God. To the Colossians, Paul says this. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourselves to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments of the teachings of men. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but they are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Because in Christ, you come to the reality that I have been crucified with Christ. I am dead to me. That's... Way different than just trying, trying to maintain a standard. When I realize that my union is with the living Jesus, I've died with him and now I've been raised with him. It's not I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me and through me. Now there's the power of the Holy Spirit to live a resurrected life. Right? That does not come by discipline or asceticism or anything else. Christ, the central character of the book of Hebrews. Watch what you believe. Cling to truth as revealed in Jesus Christ. The second thing, I'll go a little quicker with these next few. Continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, giving thanks to his name. Now listen, since we are recipients of such marvelous grace... Since I have been forgiven all my debts, I mean, think about this, students, all your school debts canceled. Or those of you with credit card debt, someone comes along and says, I paid it. It's done. Son, how do you feel? It's like, I can sleep at night. A weight has been lifted off my shoulders. I'm free. You know, this is how it is in Christ. Only a million times better, right? Anything that could condemn you to a crisis eternity has been removed. And now you are free as a child of God. You have been stamped with his name. You have been given a hope that will not disappoint you, that is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You have a father who loves you every time you wake up in the morning. He's there loving you. And his son is saying, you have my righteousness. And his spirit is saying, I'm here to guide you and to protect you and to empower you and to comfort you and to convict you of sin and to lead you on. You have this relationship with him through Jesus Christ. So what's the. What, what's the response that we should give? What's, what's just appropriate? Praise. You know, that's all God wants. That's all he wants is, to be, is for us to be grateful and thankful and praise him. He doesn't want us to climb mountains. He doesn't want us to do great feats 
He wants us to be people of praise, people of thanks. David says in Psalm 34, my soul will make its boast in the Lord. We all boast about something. What are we going to boast about? In the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Why? I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. So you tell the story, you know, when you boast in the Lord, when you sing praise to him, when you share this with other people for their encouragement, tell your story. I was broken. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Tell the story often and let people catch the energy, the blessing. And follow your example. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Unfortunately, I think, if you were to look at my life, it's not characterized so much by praise. Sometimes by worry, sometimes by doubt, sometimes by complaining. Sometimes, you know, you know what I'm saying, right? Where's the praise? Praise is hard, right? It's not the natural thing that comes out of my mouth. It's like, oh, no, not that again. Another inconvenience, another broken fingernail, another paper cut, another, you know what I mean? I mean, they're little things in the whole scheme of things, but they're big because they mound up. Instead, it depends on what we choose to look at. Look at the good that God is doing and celebrate that good. Determine in your heart that that's what you're going to devote yourself to. Be people of praise. This is God's will for you. Thirdly, do good and share. For such is, for such sacrifices, God with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So we were talking in our Sunday school class this morning about building a thick community. And what it takes to build a thick community at CBC where people really hang together and there's an identity and a, and a purpose. And I was thinking about the early church and one of the things that they did out of necessity, they were told to go and wait until the Holy Spirit came down. So they're waiting together in the upper room and then the Holy Spirit comes down and they experience this this, this amazing event of the Spirit coming down upon them in cloven tongues of fire. And then they're proclaiming the Word of God together. They're sharing and they're building experiences together, right? And then they're, they're people of mission. They're told to go out into all the world, into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth and to preach the gospel. And then there's this amazing persecution of the church, which just forces people out. To flee. But as they go, they're sharing Christ. They're people of mission. These are the things that join us together that make us a thick community. We are to share with one another. One of the things that they did was some were rich and some were poor. They pooled their resources together very early in the early church and they had all things in common. They cared for each other. They didn't see their own as just their own. They saw themselves as stewards of God with his material blessings to make available to the needs of God's people. I've seen this in this church so often, and I'm so grateful for you all. Continue. Let your love excel. 
to be sensitive to the needs of others and to give generously, do good. These are the good works that God has prepared for you to walk in, as he says in Ephesians 2.10. You've been saved by grace through faith, by grace through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works. For we are his workmanship created for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has prepared these works for us. That's why we're here and not just immediately taken to heaven is that we might do his will. We might be his hands, his eyes, his feet, his heart to needy people. First of all, we're told to take care of our own. In First Thessalonians chapter five, Paul says that if you do not take care of your own kin, your own believer, I mean, your own family, you're worse than an unbeliever. So there is this prescription take care of your family, sacrifice, make sure that they're cared for, then take care of the church of God. That's the second on the priority list. Jesus said, by this, all men shall know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Bryce shared with us last week, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. So we are to contribute to each other's needs. And then thirdly, we're to care for all people. Jesus told that famous story of the Good Samaritan. And the thing that I'd like you to note is that the Samaritan who cared for the Jew who had been left to die in the ditch was, in fact, a social enemy. They were he was an outcast of the Jewish people. So he had to overcome this prejudice against him while others of his own race walked past him because the risk was too great and the sacrifice was too much. This person, who we knew that in any other social situation would have been looked down by the man who was in the ditch, got off his mule and took care of him. Everything this guy needed was provided. Who was the real neighbor? I want to be that kind of neighbor to somebody, don't you? Not just to the people who are my friends, but to the people out there who don't agree with me theologically, who don't agree with me politically, who don't agree with me in so many ways. I want to be their friend. I want to love them to Jesus. Do you know what I'm saying? When we determine that we're going to actively love people with the truth and be involved in their lives, then we have a beginning point for evangelism. With this, God is well pleased. Fourthly, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Bryce had shared with us another verse in verse 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, consider the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. So this I would say to you, God has appointed leaders at Community Bible Church. We are not perfect leaders. We are on the road to becoming like Christ, just like you are. 
Somebody's got to lead. God has given us the grace to take on this responsibility. Our leaders make great sacrifices to lead. Time, uh, energy, heartache, prayer, intercession, counseling, teaching, all the preparation involved. These guys don't get paid for what they do. I'm the only one that gets paid for what I do. They, They don't get paid for what they do. And yet they're devoted to you because they want to see you mature in Christ. Like Paul, they long to see Christ be formed in you. You might say, I'm not sure I really agree with everybody. We're not asking you to agree with us. We're not saying that you can't point out our faults and and take us to task. We're not saying that you can't contradict us. But don't, don't cause trouble. Don't don't gossip. Don't don't do things that undermine the unity of God's body. Come to us and talk about your problem directly with us so that we can settle issues. In your mind, listen to the word of God, which says, obey, voluntarily place yourself under the authority of God's people, of God's leaders and follow their example. We desire to lead by example. We desire to sacrifice our lives for the sake of the gospel and for your spiritual welfare. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians, Brethren, brethren, join join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I have often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. There there were some who were trying to take hold of leadership for their own gain. But he says, look for those who are like the Apostle Paul, join in following the pattern that you see in their lives because they watch over your souls and give an account to God as to how they carry out this responsibility. We know as leaders that we'll give an account for our job, for how we care for you. That's a very sobering reality. I'm working with a group of core leaders right now who are being used by God, have been used by God to carry out his work in team ministries, and in small groups. Some of you are in this course with me right now. God is building leadership at Community Bible Church. He's making us strong. Leaders are humble people who lead by example, who serve sacrificially, who seek to promote God's kingdom, not their own. You may be a ministry team leader, We're so thankful that you're a part of that group or a small group leader. There are some among you who are not involved in leadership at all, but you've been Christians for a long time. You, too, are responsible to reach out to those who are in need. The Apostle Paul says, brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. So just because you don't have a title here at CBC doesn't mean you're off the hook. Nor does it mean, well, I hope the church does something about so-and-so because, you know, 
We can all see what's going on there. Now, if if someone sins and you know about it, you go to that person and you talk to them in a spirit of gentleness because you don't know the backstory. And know that you, too, can be tempted to fall. So you have a responsibility. You take the log out of your own eye first, and then you see clearly to take the speck from your brother's eye. But you do take the speck out of your brother's eye because you love him. Not because you want to be judgmental, but because you want to see that brother or sister grow in their walk with Jesus. And then finally, he says, pray for us. Pray for us. You know, he's, he's asking for prayer for the leaders. We need prayer. We need to remain connected to the vine. We need to remain faithful to God. We need to be men and women of integrity. We need to have boldness and faith to move forward as God leads our congregation. We need to possess humility. We need to celebrate and enjoy the goodness of God. We need wisdom that God gives to those who ask. We need to exemplify Christ to our fellowship and to our community. Pray for us. He says, for we are sure that we are of good conscience, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. And I urge you all the more to do this so that I may be restored to you sooner. Listen, folks, we can look around us on the horizon, the landscape of spiritual development and see that Satan targets leaders. He targets workers, those who are fully surrendered to Christ. The enemy will attempt to undermine our faith, to distract us from the mission and the task before us, to create conflict and chaos in our relationships, to tempt us with our own weaknesses and sins and lusts. And if he succeeds, he discredits the gospel. He divides the church and the work of God falls. We need prayer. Prayer is the backbone of this church. We have times designated for prayer. If you don't have time to meet with us at those designated times, set up a prayer time with somebody. Be engaged in prayer. Start something. I challenge you. Start something. We need a revival of prayer at Community Bible Church. God has given us this weapon to confront our enemy. Pray that we might conduct ourselves honorably in all things. So, cling to the truth as revealed in Jesus. Continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Do good and share for such sacrifices please God. Obey your leaders and submit to them and be men and women of prayer. The better covenant that we enjoy as believers means that we have a permanent solution to the problem of sin. Jesus Christ. He's the perfect lamb of God who died once and for all for our sins on the cross so that we need not make a continual sacrifice. He has given us his Holy Spirit to live within us. To empower us, comfort us, guide us, illumine us, teach us, to bring all of Christ's words to our remembrance. We have a great high priest, Jesus, who is sitting on the throne, interceding, praying for each one of us. 
and who says, come, my children, to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. Any time of the day or night, come and find help. Do we not have a great covenant in Jesus Christ? He is the object of the best covenant. We have a hope that's based upon Mount Zion, eternal in the heavens. Therefore, we are grateful to give back to God the praise that comes from lives that are overflowing as a result of His grace. If you're here this morning, you say, I want Jesus. I have tried to do this on my own. I have sought so many different avenues to find peace, but have not found it. The peace is found in Christ alone. Today is the day of salvation. All you need to do is say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I believe that Jesus died for me on that cross in my place so that I would not have to pay for my sins, but that I might have eternal life. I receive you, Lord, into my life now as my Savior. Come, Lord Jesus. I love you and I want you. If you say something like that to God and you mean it today, you will be saved from your sin. Let's rise for the benediction. The Apostles' prayer for these Hebrew Christians was this. And it's my prayer for you. May the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, may he equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, Through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.